You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hi, welcome to In the Dome. We are sponsored by DraftKings. This week, we are sponsored by DraftKings Sportsbook. Now, if you're in Canada, you can continue to use daily fantasy options over DraftKings. It's a great daily fantasy platform, but this one is for our American listeners who have access to Sportsbook. So everybody's favorite time of year is right around the corner. It's not Michael Stone signing in Calgary for the 400 millionth time season. It's college football season. And DraftKings Sportsbook is putting together a great promo. Take advantage of this limited time offer now by downloading the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code THPN to receive $200 in free bets when you place a $1 bet on any college football game. That promo code is THPN to get your free $200 in free bets instantly. For a limited time now, only a DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 years or older, NJIN or PA only, new customers only, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or in Indiana, 1-800-9-WITH-IT. All right, on with the show. Enjoy this week's episode, everybody. Catch you on the next one. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the In the Dome podcast, podcast, podcast. Okay, today we have a very special guest joining us on the show. His name is Kent Wilson. He's a Twitter beast. I think you knew about Kent long before I did because we just joined Twitter, what, a year and a half ago? Uh, maybe I'll let you do the intro and we'll go from there. Well, he's been a long time. Uh analytics follow if you're a flames fan he's kind of like the first guy in calgary to really get into the analytics scene he's kind of up there with guys who you know work for nhl teams now like tyler dello was a guy up at oilers nation who now works for the new jersey devils so ken was kind of like that guy back in the day he was like the only one in calgary really uh doing any work in analytics or doing analytical analysis um so he he wrote for flames nation for a really long time. That's kind of where I first came across his work. Um, I think he was at match six and gasoline for a while too. another flames blog. And then he uh, went over to the athletic, I think in like 2016, 2017. And that's where I really kind of started being exposed to a lot of his work. He just did a lot of really great work that you weren't seeing elsewhere in flames coverage. And he's kind of just been like a really good Twitter follow ever since he's like, kind of like the, the Yoda of hockey analytics in Calgary. Right. Yeah. Um, when you've got most of the media going, Oh, Johnny control sucks. Johnny sucks. You have Kent like, no, he's really good. Shut up. <laughs> so naturally he was a good, a good read. Um, yeah, he's a great analytics guy. It, it's good. Anytime we have a guest, cause it kind of forces me to be on my best behavior. Um, but yeah, really smart guy, 
always has some really good insights. So today's episode, we're getting in. Uh, we asked Kent a lot of questions. <sighs> some of them are what to do with Matthew Kachuk. What's what, where does Matthew Kachuk's uh, career trajectory going to look like? Um, what do you do with with Johnny Gaudreau? What do you do with poor Sean Monahan. What do you do with poor Sean Monahan. Monahan. What's the defense going to look like with uh, Geo leaving the team? Um, and then we talk a little bit about eighteen nineteen, and then mostly spend time on the off season acquisitions and what the future of this team is going to look like in the next one to two seasons, and if we're actually good enough to make the playoffs and maybe beyond. So, without further ado, Kent Wilson. All right, man. So what's the deal with Matthew Kachuk? Everybody seems to think he sucks all of a sudden. What was your take on Kachuk's season last year? Was yeah, he actually big, as bad as, as people say he was? Probably not. Uh, I mean, the big problem with Kachuk, uh, his perception is he improved so much in the first few seasons in Calgary. Like he got better and better and better. And it, Last year, he, he didn't really do that. Um, he kind of ran in place. Uh, you could see a lot of frustration in his game last year. Part of it, I'm sure, is the way the, the season and the team went. Part of it was he looked like a player who'd watched too many of his own highlights, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Like, he had, like, the number one highlight on TSN after he scored that between-the-legs overtime goal against Nashville. And they tried that, like, <laughs> variations of that throughout the entire year. And, you know, Kachuk is skilled and he can pull those off, but his real game is meat and potatoes, yep. spade work, down low, he knows the game fundamentally and, and that's the player that is truly high impact for the Calgary Flames. He's not Johnny Gaudreau. And when he tries to be Johnny Gaudreau too much, it detracts from his true game. It's funny you bring that game up because I think that was a big turning point for a lot of Flames fans. Um, we talk about this game quite a bit on our podcast because <laughs> I don't know why, but all the games with Nashville seem to be roller coasters, especially in Nashville. But that game in particular, I'm not sure if that was the Halloween night one or not, but that game in particular, the Flames go ahead. I think it was uh, Backlund to Mangiapane with like, what, a minute minute left, like unreal play. Then the Preds tie it up and you're like, oh, shit. Or maybe that was maybe I'm getting yep. myself wrong. No, they, that was a different game because the Flames lost that one. Right, they lost so that one. Heart, they tied it and they lost for thirty seconds. I remember. Right. Yeah. So then yeah. this game with between the legs, what happened is the 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 roles get reversed. So Nashville goes right. ahead with about a minute left, and then I remember I'm watching the game live. It cuts to the bench, and everybody on the bench, the whole like the cut the pan across. The Flames yeah. heads are down. They're heads like, down, oh. Yeah. Fuck. And then Chucky's at the end of the bench. So he's the last guy the camera hits. And he's got one leg hanging over the bench. He's mount on his mouth guard. He's like yeah. itching to get over the boards. And then yeah. he's the guy that ties it up. And he's the guy that scores the fifth greatest goal of all time. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but I went back and I watched that game again because it was just incredible. But the way he played drive the entire game, he was all over it. And I think, yeah, if you go, anybody will goes back and watches that game, there's the meat and potatoes that you're talking about just all over the ace. And do you think yeah. that was like a, a switch in his mind or like what, what is his, how did he get to this point where he's kind of, you know, trying to be Johnny Gaudreau? Like, what is he thinking? I mean, he's, he's a young, he's pretty young still right now. And uh, I remember the first, the first, yeah, the first time I ever really scouted him live, it was at one of the prospects 
sort of games or uh, tournaments and it was like a scrimmage. And I remember, I think he was 18 at the time is right after they drafted him. And I thought his board work is absolutely NHL quality right now. Like he is doing incredible stuff along the boards and down low, but in my, I think I noted it or in my head, I said, he needs to walk the line with the antics because there was a lot of extra stuff and you could tell sometimes it was beneficial and sometimes it wasn't. Now, some of this goes back to like the puck flip and the, maybe the team getting mad at him for it and, and that sort of thing. But you can tell he's so competitive. He's always looking for an edge. And I think the edge was he was looking for last year was like, okay, I'm the highest paid player on the team. Um, I need to like up the skill game. And, you know, having the number one highlight on TSN all summer probably didn't help, right? They need someone just to go back and sit him down and like, listen, you are skilled, but your true impact is, is around the net and along the boards and anticipating play. It's not dangling through three guys. Right. Yeah. I mean, if you're looking at, you mean, you bring up a good point. If he flatlined last season, you're sitting here as a fan, you're trying to figure out why. Obviously, there's a lot of probably factors go into it. COVID's got to be one of them. This guy probably yeah. is a guy that thrives under, you know, in front of a big stage, big crowd. Um, obviously, the lines shift. I mean, yeah. the style of game shifts or the style of play for the Flames shifts. He's got a new centerman in, in Lindholm, and they're asked to be the top play drivers on the team. Um, I don't know. We, we kind of go back and forth. If you're, if you're looking at potential new lineups this season – I guess it still makes sense to keep Lindholm and Chucky together, but does he play better with Backlund? I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question because that was a, a, just a killer duo for years. Um, but I think they should be looking to elevate Kachuk. And when he played with Gaudreau and, and Lindholm last year, it was that was a really good line. That was a legitimately good power versus power matchup. So I think if those, you know, get those impact players going together and, and move Backlund into more of a support role. I'm kind of curious what the future holds for Kachuks at, as are a lot of Flames fans. Yeah. Kind of looming over everything is this like qualifying offer being at $9 million. Everyone's like, I don't know if he's a $9 million player. Mm-hmm. Where do you kind of see his trajectory going? Because like you said, he's still very young, but I think you kind of have a certain segment of, of people in the fan base who are like, oh, he's, he, can't, he can't skate. You've seen his game flatline the last two years. He's not a guy you want to be investing in long-term and especially at, you know, huge dollars, like where do you kind of see, can you kind of foresee a path um, of development for Matthew Chuck? Where does this kind of go throughout his kind of peak 24, 25, 26 age range? I think we have a couple of years to find out, but the issue is less that I think Matthew Kachuk is probably a 90th percentile impact player um, at worst. I think he could be probably better than that, but even last year he was in that range even though he didn't really move forward. So uh, the issue for the Flames isn't that, is can they convince him that he wants to be here long-term? Can they be a competitive franchise? Can they say, you know, this should be your home? And I think they have, you know, two years to do that. And I think they have to do that with Gaudreau over the next year. They have to do it with Kachuk. If they don't, it's it's rebuild time because all these guys are going to say, I don't really want to be here long-term. I mean, they have one year with Gaudreau now, and then if he doesn't want to sign, they got to trade him for, for parts at the deadline or lose them for nothing in free agency. And then Kachuk is obviously an RFA, but he can just, you know, take his qualifying offer, stick around for a year or two, and then go be a unrestricted free agency. And by that time you have to 
Tanev, who's probably aged out. You got Backlund, who's probably aged out. Uh, Markstrom, who knows how good he'll be at like 33. So the team, you know, is facing this sort of existential pivot point in the next two years. Yeah, I know uh, we've seen you've been pretty vocal about you would you probably would have have had have already started the rebuild if you were managing this yeah. team. Um, they're not obviously they're they're still nope. going for it. Um, yep. So they're probably. I mean, if you look at Brad Living's contract, Daryl Sutter's contract, you're looking at the next one or two years. They're probably going to try and make something happen in that time. Yeah. Um, if you contrast that with the decision to rebuild now. I'm just curious from your perspective, how much does that hurt you to continue to wait and wait and wait? Like, is it really, is it, is it increase your risk of this thing just imploding and you're, you know, you got to backtrack? It does. Yeah. So like if they don't make something of themselves in the next two years, that's they've set their rebuild back pretty badly because um, you know, you probably lose Gaudreau and a handful of guys, for nothing or for pennies on the dollar. Sounds and you've missed out on like, yeah, on two drafts where there's all these generational talents right. near the top of top end of the draft. So you've missed those. You, you haven't won anything and you're losing a bunch of guys. And then you have a bunch of other guys, you know, aging into a relative obsolescence. So it, it will, it'll be tougher to rebuild two years from now than it would have been this year. So that's, you know, that said, if they don't do anything between now and the start of the season to improve this team and really go for it, it's going to be really disappointing. So what if they don't do that and then they have a, a tough stretch this season and are um, on the outside looking in, heading into the trade deadline, heading into the offseason? What happens? They're crazy if they don't start to sell. They're yeah. crazy because Goudreau's not going to stick around. Why would he? There's yeah. a lot of talk of this offseason, like why haven't they resigned Goudreau? And I'm sure the team would like to. But if I'm that player, I'm saying, prove to me that I should stay here. Like I, I like you know the city and the team, but I want to win. And if you guys don't prove that you can do that, then I'm going to go, I can write my own ticket when I'm an unrestricted free agent. Right. So he's getting paid either way. So why don't we wait to see if he can win someone? Yeah. And then I, I guess think, kind of, I, uh, I think we can all think of nine good reasons. Yeah. <laughs> to, to keep the, both Kachuk and Johnny Gaudreau sticking around. If you can somehow make a deal for Jack Eichel, we'll probably, we'll touch on Jack Eichel in a bit, but. Okay. Um, as far as Matthew Kachuk's qualifying offer, that seems to be the other big argument yeah. on Twitter. People are all up in arms. This guy's not worth $9 million. Um, obviously, he plateaued last season, but where you project him, project him to go, do you think he's going to be worth $9 mil? I think so. Um, and, and then it, it obviously depends on what he does in the next couple of years. You never really know. But uh, he's a player whose trajectory came out of the draft with a great pedigree, made the t- made the team as a teenager has been nothing but great ever since aside from like a plateau last year. And even then he's still one of the best players on the team. Yeah. I mean, unless he takes drastic steps backwards in the next two years, he'll be worth that. And quickly before we move past Chucky, what's your take on the rumors? The rumors of him wanting out. Yeah. The rumors of the whole Jake Muzzin, the team told him to tone it down. The management told him to tone it down. And then now he wants out. He wants to go back to St. Yada, yada, yada. I don't love speculating on stuff I can't possibly say. I mean, it's plausible, of course, given what we saw. And, you know, he's he's an American and sure. But uh, um, I can only say it's plausible, but I can't say whether or not it's, it's true. Do you feel like there was a direct correlation with 
kind of his his drop off in play last season with around the time the the, the puck flip happened. Yes, but there that's that's seductive, right? There's a lot of this happened and then this happened, so they caused each other. And yeah, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens in an NHL season that don't really have anything to do with each other. So it's it's I guess it's possible, but I mean the Flames went through so many ups and downs last year, you know, to connect, you know, point A to point B is somewhat tenuous. I think yeah. the other big question of next offseason is obviously on Jamon Japani. Yeah. <laughs> What are we projecting there? What are you thinking? Because I, I think he's kind of getting lost in all this. Everyone's like, Goudreau, Kachuk, is he going to get paid? Is he, Are they going to keep kicking that can down the road? I don't think they can afford to any longer. No, I, I would resign him as soon as possible because I think next year he explodes. Oh, he's well, going to play in the absolutely. top six. He's you know, one of the best even strength producers on this team, one of the best play drivers on this team. And if they wait, it's going to be more expensive. He's gonna so, win a he's gonna win a Selkie trophy before they have a sign or something ridiculous <laughs> yeah. at this point. That's how you know they're gonna wait with what you just said. Well, the team has played hardball with him twice now. So you know, the next contract they're not getting the discount on. So don't wait. Sign him when you can. Okay. So let's go to Daryl Sutter. Thoughts on the Daryl Sutter hire? Um, I don't know if you want to touch on Ward, if if you were a big fan or not. No. Um <laughs> And then, and this is the podcast for you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We we're definitely not board fans at all. Um, we were kind of on the fence at first with Daryl and then we were kind of like, well, let's see, let's see how, how it works, how, what happens. Uh, they, they ended the season pretty well defensively, but yeah. let's hear your thoughts as a whole on the Daryl Sutter hire and what you've seen so far. Yeah, I guess we'll start with Ward. I mean, it, the team was just too, in between worlds like they they couldn't they weren't good offensively they weren't good defensively um yeah he couldn't seem to figure out uh, the combinations on the front or back he he couldn't seem to pick a lane you know what i mean with the team and or if he does if he was trying to the players were going with him um we could see you know halfway through last season that it was over uh, <laughs> they completely bottomed out there was no going for it it really reminded me of the end of glenn Bellinson here yeah where it was just Nobody seemed to have an answer. So I was glad he was replaced. Sutter, I've always had time for him as a coach, less as a GM, of course. Yeah. But uh, um, Sutter knows what he wants out of a team. He can usually get it at least for a short period of time. He's fantastic as a defensive guy. He always finds a way to, to limit chances against. And his teams always have good possession numbers. So he's not going to be... Um, forward thinking in terms of he's not going to be the most um, innovative coach in the world, but he does tend to extract the most out of a roster that you can, at least for a couple of years. And then um, some of the additions, obviously this off season were, were they're all center like players. Yeah. Um, what do you think of those additions as a whole? We'll probably get into some individuals, but obviously I, it kind of makes me think that Daryl Sutter was actually behind a lot of these, these acquisitions that we've seen. Um, because they all really fit really well into the, the Sutter brand of hockey. Um, do you think as a whole, I mean, up front, it's hard to argue, but yeah. do you think as a whole, the team got better in terms of, you know, acquiring with a vision, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to hire Sutter, you might as well build a roster that's, you know, tailored to that coach. Right. So I have a lot of time for filling the bottom end of your roster 
with players of a certain ilk. And I don't just mean big guys because big guys can be totally useless on an NHL team. But at least a, a lot of the guys they got are very good defensively. You can see it in their underlying numbers. They are, are they're erasers, right? They they make shots and chances again against difficult. They're not great offensively. So part of the reason I think the Flames really need to do something in the rest of this offseason is because all of the offense is going to come from the top top of the rotation. Yeah. And if they don't have enough offense there, it's going to make life really difficult for this team, especially if anyone gets injured. Uh, in the top six, if you see Goudreau or Lindholm or Kachuk go down for any length of time, yeah, you're going to have to win every game 2-1. And, you know, it's possible, that, but that's a tough way to play an entire season, right? So um, you saw Tampa Bay kind of do this. Like when they won their their cup there and they got Goudreau, they got Coleman, they filled the bottom of the roster with guys who were hard to play against. And I again, I don't mean that as euphemism of guys who run around and hit people. They yep. make scoring on you more difficult yeah. but the reason that works for tampa bay is they have a lot of offense anyways right <laughs> at yeah. the top of the rotation so um if calgary's going to go down that road get more offense please so is coleman can you see coleman's eraser type effect being <laughs> playing higher up in the lineup being effective for this team like because i know i i think we can all agree we like the addition of blake coleman contracts maybe notwithstanding but I think to just plug him in as a guy who's going to be relied on to score a lot of goals. I'm not sure about that just yet. What are your thoughts on like Coleman playing in the top six as it appears he's going to be and relied on for offense. I have a lot of time for Coleman, even his contract wasn't, wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be, you know, right. UFA contracts are what they are. You've got to pay to play with, with UFA. So I thought he was going to get 6 million. Plus. Oh yeah. Me so too. At 4.9. I was like, okay, well that's, that's not bargain. terrible. Yeah. Um, his even strength offense is pretty good. Um, I think he had the same rate of offense last year as Andrew Mangiapane. So he's kind of that level of player. Uh, he drives play. He does score enough that you, if you need him in a top six position, uh, you can play him there. I mean, the, the real problem for Calgary is either going to be Monaghan and their center depth. So if Monaghan doesn't come back to what he used to be, the center depth is very strange. You got Lindholm, you got Backlund, who's, you know, I have a lot of time for Backlund, but at this point you should, you should be wanting him to play a two, two to three uh, center role at best. Yeah. And if Monaghan can't do what he used to do, um, he's not even a three C. I don't know what to do with him, quite frankly, because he can't score. He's not good defensively. Uh, so they're, they're gambling a lot if um, that doesn't come back. So, and of course they don't have any right wingers like at all. <laughs> They've got a bunch of left wingers playing right wing. So <laughs> I'm just curious to pull on the Monaghan thread a little bit. I know you've written about this before, but like, what yeah. do you, what happened to this guy? Like, cause I look at, I look at him and it's like, I just, I can't pinpoint other than injuries. Yeah. I, I can't pinpoint this steep of a decline over the last couple of seasons. Like you have any, yeah, you, I guess you never really know. And yeah. unless you're close to the situation, but um, his neutral zone game has really fallen off. I talked to Jack Han, who used to work for the Toronto Marlies, and yeah. he does a lot of scouting uh, work, obviously, on, on Twitter. And he just said, like, Monahan doesn't carry the puck anymore. Mm -hmm. He can't carry it through the, the neutral zone. And the other thing we saw last year is, I mean, he used to be an absolute killer anywhere near the net. I mean, you get him in the slot or the high slot, puck's going in. Yeah. And his release seemed to be gone last year. He couldn't 
find pucks in his skates. He couldn't hunt pucks down. And if he got them, they weren't on net or they, they weren't dangerous. So his skating and his shots have sort of abandoned him to a, a non-trivial degree. And that was, you know, a lot of what the, I mean, his skating was never a strength. So when you undermine that to a significant degree and then you undermine his main strength, which was his shot, it makes it tough because he was never great defensively anyways. Yeah, there's that, there's that, uh, <laughs> that one highlight I remember. I think they were playing the Leafs or something. Gaudreau gives yeah, him yeah. a feed right in the slot. He puts it into like row 50. It's, it was like, it was unbelievable. Yeah, it flipped off his stick and, yeah. and went up into the crowd. And it's like, what, what yeah. happened here? And that is not, you know, classic Monaghan at all. It's funny. Like, it seems to be that the team, A, asked him to get bigger, which he did. And then B started asking him to play more defense, which yeah. he did. And right around the same time, then you see all these other changes in his game. I'm curious to see it. I'd be curious to know how much of his drop off is just due to the team asking him to do things that probably they shouldn't have. Yeah. You actually saw the team after the, um, the big disappointment against Tampa Bay, they kind of wanted Goodrow and Monaghan as a combination to become more of a two-way threat and get better defensively and you can try that but you're i mean that's that's not who they are yeah and did they, you mean the, the disappointment against colorado sorry colorado correct yeah okay. yeah. yeah yeah so that they, they had the last sort of quarter of the season and then they they choked against colorado and then you could see the team try to figure out okay we need we these guys to be more. We don't want to score more. goals anymore. <laughs> they need to be more than they are. They need to defend more. And it's like, you can wish that, you could try it, but you could see that that was never going to work. Yeah. And that's that's not who either of those players are. Yeah, we've spent quite a bit of time just because, I don't know about you, but I sure enjoyed watching Hockey 1819. It was yeah. fun turning the TV on. Most right? of it, Ex- yeah. Expecting them to win, and then they do. Like I, I can get used to that, yeah. but like, like we've talked about, I mean, you mentioned that the team seemed to go in a completely different direction after yep. 1819. Jeff Ward was even quoted the, the, the season following that saying, you saw what happened when we tried to be a scoring team. Yeah. I don't know why I said tried because you were a scoring team. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I don't know. We, we feel that the team maybe over, as, or I don't they know. overcompensated for sure. Well, yeah. and did they you know, realize that Colorado, this was Colorado's breakout party since yeah. that moment that they defeated us, they've been one of the top three teams in the league. Do you necessarily yeah. have to go recreate the wheel after getting, you know, punked by a team that's now going to be a Stanley Cup contender for the next five years? It kind of depends on how you do it. Right. So you saw Tampa Bay the same year got swept by Columbus and, to some degree, you have to take anything that happens in the playoffs with a grain of salt. It's a very small sample, and anyone can be bad in four to seven games. It just happens. Even when you watch a season, there is – I mean, I used to do the seven-game segment uh, pieces on The Athletic, and I did that for a reason. So you could see the ups and downs during a season relative to what would be a seven-game uh, series in a playoff. And yeah. and sometimes a team's great. Sometimes it's, it's bad, and it just is. There's, you know, highly variable – performances period because we're all human but um what you saw tampa bay do is what i talked about they went out and they filled the bottom end of the roster with guys who are to play and after that they had this 
brutal matchup machine that they created. So you could put out almost any line in the defensive yeah. zone against anybody. And so what they did with that was they gave Kucherov the high, the high road the entire time. I think the year they won the cup, he had a zone start of 70%. Like almost every offensive zone faceoff went to their best offensive player. So they didn't go to Kucherov and say, you need to be a Selkie winner now. You're getting they went out defensive got, starts, yeah. Right. They went out and got great defensive players, put them at the bottom of the roster, and let their let their horses run, right? So yeah. they learned the right lessons, and the Flames didn't. Oh, frustrates me at all end. <laughs> um, it's easy. Honestly, it's easy from where we're sitting, right? It's, you know, I'm, we're using hindsight. It's very yeah. easy now, but I have some sympathy for, you know, having to build and, and manage an NHL roster. So do you see this Daryl Sutter hire as maybe they're actually going about it the right way now? They wanted to be a defensive team. They tried it by saying, oh, well, we're going to be a defensive team by uh, Johnny and Monty. You guys are going to be sulky candidates next year. Do you see this hire? Can, can you see Daryl Sutter having a Barry Trotz-like effect this upcoming season? Potentially. If anyone can do it, it's him. And uh, people have to remember that Sutter does like a certain style of game and he, and he values big guys who can play defensively, but he also has skilled players on his team. You know, he traded for Christian Eusalius. He traded for Alex Tange. I mean, these are, these were not big hulking dudes who were mm-hmm. scrambling guys' brains on the, on the boards. They were, they were highly um, skilled, right? So he has time for that. He knows that you have to score goals, but uh, it'll be interesting to see what he can do with this roster because this roster has not been well, um, it hasn't been well used for a while. They've had a lot of coaches kind of struggling to find their way for a few years now, outside of like the first three quarters of 1819, right? Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what an established high-end coach can do here. Yeah, when we look across the league, it seems like with the Daryl Sutter hire and just the way this team apparently wants to play now, yeah, the, the Islanders might be a good comparable. We haven't really looked at their underlings in terms of, do the teams match up? But I mean, it's not like the Islanders have a lot of high-end skill other than Barzell. Barzell, um, yeah. And they just lost Everly. But um, if Barry Trotz can do it over there, you would think that it's got to be possible. Yeah. But to be fair, I mean, the Islanders, Islanders have outperformed expectations. They haven't won anything. Yep. So you know, the for the Flames, I mean, making it to the second round would be great because we <laughs> rarely do that. <laughs> But in the end, if you guys want to win a cup, I mean, you've got to build a Colorado Avalanche. you got to build a, a Tampa Bay Lightning. You have to build guys who are at the top of the – I mean, Colorado doesn't want anything either, but they're going to. I mean, it's almost inevitable. Just look at that roster and look at yeah. how they, they rolled through most of the competition last year. Even the Vegas Golden Knights would be nice because they're always, they're always there. They're always competing. So build a contender. You can do it here. You're a cap team. Figure it out. If you go back to 1819, like you just said, we have hindsight. Mm-hmm. What would you have done? What would you have done? Would you have continued? I mean, I don't see how you can just write off all of 1819 and say, okay, the success we had doesn't mean anything because we lost in the playoffs. Um, would like would you have just added differently to the roster? What would you have done in hindsight to continue to build this roster? So the big question I had exiting that season and especially that first player playoffs uh, round was what the hell happened 
especially to the first line, because up until the all-star game of that year, they were just murdering almost anyone they played against. They were one of the best trios in the league. Yep. And then Monaghan and Goudreau came back from the all-star game uh, break and there was just nothing there. Like it had already started by then. And the reason the flames maintained was the rest of the roster was pretty good. And in fact, you had like the, the rise of Magic Pounding playing with, I think, Garnet Hathaway yeah. and Derek Ryan. Yeah. And they just killed for the last quarter. And that kind of masked what was going on with the top line. And then you get into the, the first round, they get just beaten to death by Colorado. And it actually wasn't just the top line, it was everybody. You could tell the Colorado game plan for Calgary, and the Flames didn't. They didn't know it was coming at them. So. Yeah. In the offseason, I thought you guys need a, a you need a first line center or you need to figure out what to do with Monaghan. Because already by then I said, you know, Monaghan is this great sniper and offensive player. He is not a two-way player. And if he goes up against the McKinnons of the world, you know, Goudreau is who he is, but he you're not gonna you're not gonna compete against true top line centers in the in the playoffs with Monaghan. So yeah. Either they had to figure out what was going on there, and they didn't. They went the opposite way and, and asked those players to be someone they weren't. Or you have to get a player that can supplement them. And the big miss, of course, was Mark Stone um, when he became yeah. available. So he would have solved a lot of problems for this team because uh, he is that player, right? He is a legitimate 95th percentile a play driver and offensive player, and he's a right wing. So um, I understand why that was probably – very difficult to do. Um, they didn't really have the the cap space at the time, and they didn't have a guarantee he was going to sign with them, as you know Vegas did. But those were the you know that sort of period where they missed out on figuring that out or getting a Mark Stone was the big issue for me. What do you think is kind of behind this? I don't know because we've kicked this around a lot. Is like, yeah, we always come back to this Mark this Mark Stone thing. Is like, well, they didn't add when they were the best team in the in the west and the yeah. second best team in the league they didn't add when they were not very good the next year it's just kind of like this hesitancy this is it risk aversion like what do you think is kind of behind bradshaw living's tendency to just kind of let things play out without intervening in in, in any big sense yeah i don't think it's any of that i think what happened over the years is they spent a lot of cap space and a lot of futures on getting the team that they had and then by the time they got to that point, uh, they were sort of painted into a corner. So like I said, with Mark Stone, um, if, if they were asking for Valimaki, that was like the one blue chip prospect that Calgary had at the time. Mm -hmm. And then if Mark Stone was asking for $9 million a year in, in cap, they didn't even really know how they were going to do that <laughs> going into that season because they had to like, they were worried about Kachuk. They had to grind Manjapani down to like a ridiculous offer. Like it was it was tough sledding going into that off season. So they didn't really have a way to guarantee that he would resign with them. So as this goes along and you have less futures and less cap space and less flexibility, it gets harder and harder to make those kind of moves. So would you make the Jack Eichel trade right now then <laughs> if you had to give up everything and, and do anything to make it work? Depends on what the, I would, you know, the, the rumored asks, like the stuff like Zeri and Monaghan and the first and maybe Bellamaki, I mm -hmm. would do that. But maybe they're asking for Kachuk and Zeri and Peltier and the first, and it starts to get like, well, then we don't have a team. Like, 
the only reason we're trading for Eichel right now is to go for it. And if you just yeah. strip the other impact players from our roster, then that doesn't make sense. What do you think about the whole Eichel situation? Because can Buffalo really start next season with this guy on their roster? And the longer this and the longer this thing goes, it's does, very silly. does the asking price not get lowered? Um, and apparently there's only a small handful of teams still in on it, according to Elliot Freeman. You never really know. Mm-hmm. But how do you see this thing actually playing out? Do you think the Flames actually have a shot at, at landing Jack Eagle? Jack Eagle? I've been trying to figure out the Buffalo Sabres kind of angle to this as this has gone on. And part of it, I think, is they're not going to compete next year anyways. They don't care if they lose every game next year because they're they're not going to win if Michael's on the team or not. So I think they're leveraging the, like, I don't give a shit sort of <laughs> position that they're in to say, we want to get this package. And if we don't get this, then you can sit out and we can lose. I don't care. But you're right. Like at some point, like he's got to still have surgery or have some whatever he's going to do for his back. And that's going to take one month, two months, three, however long it's going to take. So um, if someone trades for him at the start of the year, then they don't have him for three months. And a lot of teams won't even have the cap space to trade for him at the start of the year. You'd probably have to wait till the trade deadline at that point. And then he's only got four years left in his contract. So you, you would think that, yeah, over time, that price has to start going down at some point. But that said, I mean, I think they kind of played this game with Matt Deshane in Colorado and they got a King's ransom for that guy. So maybe they're looking at that and going, let's do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's a similar, a little bit of a similar situation. Yeah. And Matt you Deshane may- is not Jack Eichel. <laughs> no. <laughs> so you mentioned something earlier about the flames. If they don't, add do anything more um it's probably a bit of a disappointment what do you think is the number one need for this team still right now as the roster looks currently uh it's definitely a a top line center just because what i said about monahan right even if monahan comes back 100 percent, he still has to be sheltered he's still that guy who could score and probably outscore his weaknesses but he needs a certain set of circumstances to do that and the flames therefore still don't have a true you know true power versus power matchup i mean the Lindholm line is very good they're going to outcompete the bottom end of any uh of, of the western conference they'll probably do well against other mediocre teams but when you're you start getting into tampa bay territory or colorado um probably not you know Lindholm versus mckinnon <laughs> Lindholm versus kucherov that's tough. And I like Lynn Holm as a player, but mm-hmm. probably not going to win that matchup. Right. And then after that, it starts, the, the scoring starts falling off. I mean, you're asking Michael Backlund to be you know, second line center and, and the scoring center. And, you know, he's a 55 point player in a, in a good year. And he's, he's pretty good play driver, but he's, he's 32, I think at this point. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it's starting to ask a lot. Right. So it's either that or a top line right winger. They haven't had that since what again, so <laughs> we keep waiting for them to get. You know, they tried Brower, they tried Neil. Um, they <laughs> they they did a you know hail mary with Curtis Lazar. They keep trying to put something on the right hand side, and you know they can have Kachuk or Manjapani or you know Coleman is a left handed right winger, but it would be really nice to have a, a legitimate right handed top six right winger. 
based on the uh, offseason acquisitions we've seen so far, where do you slot this team in the Pacific Division? Obviously, it's one of the weaker divisions on paper. Um, yeah. Like, are we good enough to make the playoffs? I think so, um, depending on injuries and stuff like that. Like, because the offense is going to be slim if they don't add. Um, if you have the wrong kind of injuries to this team, they, they probably don't make the playoffs. It's, but, you know, if, they, if they're relatively healthy, I think they can. The question is, what's the point? Um, right. You make the playoffs, maybe mm-hmm. win a first round, but as soon as you you hit one of those top line teams, unless you have, you know, a Cinderella, Montreal PDO run or Calgary back in the day, you know, everything, yeah. nothing goes in or everything goes in for you. Uh, yeah, you're not going anywhere. You're not beating the best teams in the West. Which seems to be kind of, you know, they obviously always take the wrong lessons. They looked at Montreal and were like, yeah, let's uh, try to do that instead of, you know. <laughs> Looking at Tampa Bay and, and Vegas and yeah. saying, yeah, let's try to do that. Do that instead. That. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, Montreal is a lottery ticket. Everyone else is, you, you want to compete and be a contender year after year, because in the end you have a one in five chance, even if you're the best team in the league of winning the Stanley cup. So try to be the best team in the league for five years in a row and win a cup. And I mean, like, how do you see this defense functioning? Because I know we've spent a lot of time talking yeah. about the forward group, but I mean, there's a huge, a yeah. huge hole that's been been left behind by Mark Giordano. I, if I'm looking at this roster right now, that defense is still kind of a big question mark for me. And the funny thing is, is the defense looks better than it should just because Tanev had like right. an incredible season last year, just out of nowhere, bonkers. I, you know, maybe he does it again, but if he doesn't do that again, even if yeah. he's 70, 75% as good as he was last year. Uh, yeah, it's, it's Hannafin and him. You, you have to ask Anderson to take a big step forward after a big step back last year. You have to hope, hope Balamaki does the same. And I'm I'm pretty bullish on Balamaki, but you never really know. And he kind of stalled last year. So, and then you're right. You have Zadarov, who is at best a top four defenser defenseman, but probably uh, I put him on the third pairing if I could. And then you know. Mackie, Shillington, Michael Stone, when they inevitably re-sign him. Yeah, that's that's depth, I guess, but not really. See, Ken says Zadarov too. I always see Zadarov and everybody gives me shit for it. It's It's totally Zadarov. (laughs) I'm going with Zadarov. But you're right. Like it's a lot of question marks. It's if Tanev is somehow in just as incredible as he was last year, which is well, and, and doesn't get injured for the first time. And doesn't career. he's only like, what's his career high in games played like 70? Like, well, what, if, the, what if he gets hurt? Yeah. The crazy part is they played him for the last month of the year and he yeah. was injured. It's yeah. like, what are you thinking guys? Yeah. What do you have a broken rib or something? Yeah. Torn oh, pack yeah it, was, too. it was just nuts. It's like, you, you're not making the playoffs. What are you playing this 30 year old defenseman for? It's just, I don't know. Totally insane. And I mean, like you said, like, I I know Noah Hannafin, like, I mean, from what I've seen, I've seen a guy who can probably be a pretty solid second pairing guy. I haven't seen in the time he's been here, like much indication that he can replace a guy like Mark Giordano. No, I mean, I think Hannafin is what he is right now. He's a solid top four guy and he's elevated by better partners, but he's dragged down by guys who are even marginally worse than him. He kind of goes either way. Sure. He, he does not anchor pairings. He's, he's pretty good. And at, you know, what he's paid, he's probably worth it, but no, he's not at Mark Giordano. 
And like from, I've been trying to explain to people like, you know, they're like, Oh, Gio's gone. He was old anyways. Like he brings so much to the table. What are the kind of like the irreplaceable or very difficult to replace elements that Mark Giordano brought to this team that on this decor probably are absent in your mind? Well, he was the best even strength scorer on this, on this blue line for one, even when he was, you know, wasn't the Norris guy anymore. Um, he was probably one of the best power play scorers on this team. And he played the toughest minutes on this team. Those are, <laughs> those are massive gaps, right? Mm-hmm. It's, and they lost Brody a year before that. And he did many similar <laughs> things. He didn't score the way Giordano did, but yeah. he also played some of the toughest minutes. So they've lost those two guys for nothing in two years. And they're lucky as hell that Tanev came up and, and, and was what he was. And we'll see how long that lasts, but yeah, they have nothing proven beyond those two guys. And I was really optimistic about Anderson before his giant step back last yeah. year. And I think he can be um, a top two guy, but you know, that remains to be seen. What do you think happened with Anderson? Was it just like, he couldn't handle the minutes. He was asked to perform a role that maybe wasn't suited to him, a partner thing, probably a combination of all these things. Yeah. It was very strange because yeah. Anderson and Giordano had played somewhat together uh, previously and they'd had pretty good results. And then they both came out and just looked awful for the first <laughs> six weeks of the year. And, you know, it, it was a weird season, right? There was a limited uh, practice, not much of a training camp. Who knows what it was that, but Anderson isn't a pure tools guy, right? He's, he's limited in his skating. Um, he's not huge. Um, he's a guy who thinks the game pretty well but he just seemed really out of sync for at least the first half of last season. So maybe a, a more regular, you know, routine and season will, will help him. We'll see. It seems to be that a lot of the team defensive play actually got a lot better when Sutter took over and the team did, yeah. as well. So I'm banking on that for all these. I mean, but I hate going into a new season, just hoping, you know, all these things are going to turn out well. But when... that's the life of a Flames fan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Eh? Right. <laughs> what we're, would at you the, have... we're at the cycle. We're at the threshold where it's just like we're convincing ourselves that the kind of marginal tinkering on the edges is like, this is actually going to work this time, you guys. It's going to work this time, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I'm not convincing myself of anything. <laughs> I'm going into this with eyes wide open because I've yeah. seen this play before. Exactly. If you were the GM, how would you have handled the geo situation? I mean, as soon as you signed Tanev last year, you automatically know you're probably exposing geo. Then the team is obviously not making the playoffs. Think I would have traded him at the deadline. Think of what you could have got for him at the deadline. You still knew at the deadline, you were probably going to expose Mark Giordano. How does he let, how does he get, how does he let this play out the way it did and then get away with letting it play out the way he did? Uh, it seems that they wanted to find a way to keep him, um, go into the off season and say, you know, Gio's a big part of this team is the captain. We're still trying to compete. So let's find a way to keep him. And they didn't. So that's, that is a failure, but I would have traded him. You know, they traded Bennett for a similar reason. Like he, they weren't going to be able to protect him in the, in the expansion draft. They should have traded Derek Ryan. I have no idea how that didn't happen. Um, yeah, they should have, they should have sold a lot harder at the deadline. Would you have thought about, Maybe I'm galaxy. I've been galaxy braining this. Would you have thought mm-hmm. about trading Tanev? What could you have um, got for Chris Tanev? Yeah, I, you know, I would say they should do that just because I'm on team. Yeah. Break it all down, rebuild. 
aggressively. And after 10, I've had that massive season that he had. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you cash the chips in, but there's no way they were going to do that. Obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would have traded Markstrom. I would have traded Tanov. I would have put everyone on the block. Like I said, you know, they should have aggressively rebuilt, rebuilt this summer. Uh, and if they don't get someone like Eichel, I'm going to stick to that line of thinking. So, well, I think we're, we're all at that point where it's just been so seven, eight years of this. Well, if you, you want to go back 20, 30, 30 years of this kind of, kind of yes. circling the drain and tinkering. Yeah. I mean, like, w- w- what are the odds? I know I kind of asked you um, mm. if this team is in a situation where they're not in a playoff position come the trade deadline. I, I think we all agree they they will be crazy not to sell. What are the odds that they do sell if they are not in a position where it looks like they make the playoffs at the trade deadline? Do you think there is a realistic possibility they they start to tear it down this year if they're in that situation? It depends on what you mean by sell. Like, is it all the unrestricted free agents? So if Kutro is still unsigned, do they sell him? Everything. Probably. But yeah, I, I've never seen them get aggressive at the trade deadline. Yeah. Um, n- Almost never, right? Especially on the sell side. Um, they usually one or two guys. And I think Sam Bennett's one of the biggest sell pieces they've had in recent memory. Uh, uh, probably a Ginlow was the last one. Oh, boy. And that went horribly sideways because <laughs> they should have sold him much earlier than yeah. that. But, yeah, it's um, they should. Will they? Yeah. I kind of doubt it, quite honestly. I mean, that could be the book of all Flames fans. They should do this. Probably won't. So, yeah. So, given the the current roster, um, forward lineups, and D D D pairings, how would you build this roster to start start the season? What give us your give us your line combos and your D pairings to start the season? Oh, or what yeah. they so, should be looking to do, like tactically as well, too, kind of. Uh, it's. I think you you have to like concentrate the scoring in the top six if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll really depend on what, what version of Monaghan you get coming into the year. Um, if he's the guy we saw last year, you have to find a way to hide him at even strength as much as possible. So I put him down the rotation to start. Um, but if he is Monaghan, then you probably can put him in the top six with a Coleman and a Mangiapane. That line could probably score. Uh, you obviously have the Lindholm, Goudreau, uh, Kachuk, a top line that has to pretty much go power versus power. And then it gets pretty tricky because then you have Backlund, Pitlick, Lucic, Lewis, um, who else? Uh, Brett Ritchie. Dubé, right? Yeah. And and Dubé, it would be nice to see him take a step forward. I thought he was going to do it last year. And yeah. his scoring came along, but the rest of his game did not at all. He sank yeah. every line he was on, unfortunately. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the third line's pretty tricky. Um given what we have right now, I don't know what you ask them to do almost in any combination. If you have Backland and Pitlick, yeah, they're, they're pretty good defensively. Dubé isn't. What do you do with him? Unless he's changed. And then you have Lucic and Lewis and whoever else is going to be on the fourth line. You're just going to hope that nothing happens when they're on the ice, except for maybe some body checks and some bites. <laughs> uh, on the back end, that's a little tougher. Uh, yeah. Hanif and Tanev is probably the top pairing, maybe. Uh, who do you pair with Anderson is the question for me at this point. Is it Zadorov? <laughs> no, it's Zadorov. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that looks like a pretty plodding second line, second pairing to me. Um, mm-hmm. Neither of those guys can skate very well. 
And then the what you know what's that third pairing exactly? You got Balamaki, who I, I'm betting they hope moves up the rotation aggressively, mm-hmm. but right now yeah. you're not sure what to do with him. And who's on the right side there? Is it do they re-sign Stone and you know just give them marginal competition? Yes. Uh, do they put Shillington on the right side and say here maybe you can do something over here? Is it is it Mackey and then they put Balamaki on the right side and hope that that's something? So. Um, yeah, the blue line scares me, especially if there's a, an injury to anyone at the top of the rotation. Then it's well, like, holy crap. Well, I just get, I have night sweats, like imagining McDavid, Hyman hopping <laughs> over the boards and like Zadarov uh, and Anderson are on the ice and like yeah. Lucic and Monaghan are stuck on the ice. It's like, oh my Lord, like they're going to get creamed. Yeah. Yeah. That- well, imagine them because they're they're not stuck in the uh, the one division this year. Imagine them playing Tampa Bay, right? Oh. They have three lines that comes over the boards, like oh, oh crap! And I mean, they got stripped a little bit by the uh, yeah the salary cap and the expansion draft, but they still scare the hell out of me. Oh yeah. So we look, we touched on Eichel. We're obviously we're all in for Eichel if it can happen. But yeah. Say Eichel's off the table, mm. given the lineup and the you know the worries you, that you just you know, voice um, yeah. up front and at the back end, what can Brad still do that he should do just to bolster as much as he can this roster going into next season? So there's nothing in free agency at this point that will move the needle quite obviously. Um, I'm intrigued by Tarasenko. Uh, he had the really good results up until last year where he was obviously sunk by this shoulder issue. Now, if he's had, if he can get over that, that is a legitimate top six winger for you, right? And you can maybe get him for pennies on the dollar because those two parties are not getting along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's pretty clear that St. Louis doesn't want him there and he doesn't want to be there anymore. So can you get that guy for something you you absolutely could not have gotten him for even two years ago, right? And can you plug him into your top six and and resurrect him? That's an interesting gamble for me. Other than that, maybe Christian Dvorak. I know he's, you know, he's a, he doesn't have great counting stats. If you look at his underlying numbers, they're pretty good. And he's young enough where you could say even a modest step forward above what he's done so far, he's a top six centerman. Now it's not, that's not Eichel territory and it's not, it's not even Tarasenko territory if he rebounds, but it's something. Okay. How about the back end? Are you, oh, are yeah. you think Brad is going to go into the yeah. offseason with this current back end uh, or the I next season? I don't know what his options are at this point, honestly. Like all the, all the guys I kind of wanted to see added to the back end are gone. Um, I don't really know what's available for trade at this point. In Seattle, maybe they're willing to trade some of those guys they got. Um, Probably trade for Gio, eh? <laughs> be hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I think he's going to have to just find it's going to be a Michael Stone type signing. Maybe maybe Zidane Ochara will want one more year. <laughs> Put him back there and let him intimidate people at 44. Um, why do you think I just want to ask you about Shillington? Yeah. It's not like I'm I, starting the Oliver Shillington fan club over here, but I have been a bit um stumped as to why they have been so reticent to play him at all. Like, you know, I, he only played eight games last year, which like, yeah, honestly blows my mind with, with where the team was at and how much Nestrov was playing, how much stone was playing. <laughs> like, do you have any theories as yeah. to, as to why they don't like Shillington? 
Absolutely. Shillington is the type of defenseman that NHL coaches don't want to play. (laughs) He isn't very big. He's not very strong. So that, you know, if you have a defenseman like that, it causes a lot of anxiety for NHL coaches because they worry about clearing corners. They worry about stopping the cycle and they worry about clearing the front of the net a lot with their defensemen. Now there's a lot of guys who make a career in the NHL that aren't great at that. They score a lot. They're a constant threat. And the problem for Oliver Shillington is his offense has never really materialized at the pro level. And he's also the kind of guy who makes the big mistake like that. He can play two or three games where you don't really notice him aside from, you know, he's really good in transition. He's a fantastic skater, but that fourth game, he'll be in his own zone. He'll pass it directly to some guy on the other, other team. He'll fall down and the guy will have a breakaway. Sounds like um, NHL teams. Yeah. will remember that forever. Right. And, when you couple that with the other weaknesses he has, he's not big, he's not strong, he, he's not great defensively, and he's not going to clear the front of the net. They're so reluctant to play players like that unless they're going back up the, the ice and they're scoring all the time. So I let, uh, Lucic gets away with it because he can punch guys out. And Lucic has, you know, 10 years of being Lucic, right? He's won cups. He scored. He is Milan Lucic. He well, has lots, lots he, of runway, right? He is pretty lovable, I gotta say. Yeah, and he's he's just an established known quantity. So yeah, he's he's getting more rope than a guy like Oliver Shillington. Shillington has to, if he doesn't clean up his weaknesses, uh, he'll always be a seven guy. Yeah, I think those are the all the Flames questions related questions that we had for you. Um, but curious, how did you? You're a big analytics guy. Um, yeah. how did you start in analytics? Like maybe walk us through your little, you know, yeah. little, how that looks for you. So I played hockey when I was younger. My dad was a coach and then he was, um, he did summer schools and then he coached my younger brother and I helped coach him. And then I coached as a 20 year old. So uh, when blogs came along, I figured, Hey, maybe I'll start writing about hockey. So I was pretty conventional. I was very conventional at that point. I'd grown up, grown up around the game. I'm, you know, I'm Canadian. Um, you know, I did all the, the basic conventional stuff and I found after writing about hockey for a while that I couldn't really predict anything. <laughs> like I knew all this stuff I'd scouted and coached, <laughs> but I, because you write things down and then you go back and read them you're like, I, you know, none of this is helping me predict what's actually going to happen on the ice. So I started reading other blogs by, uh, people in and around Calgary and Edmonton, and some of them are now working for NHL teams like Tyler, Tyler Dello and stuff. So, and they started like pulling concepts and stats from sabermetrics from baseball, right? It wasn't directly from them, but it was obviously inspired by that kind of work. And, you know, it was very intimidating at first because I had no idea what the hell they were talking about. Um, mm-hmm. But I was also coming from a psychology degree in university where statistical analysis is a big portion of a lot of psychology you're looking at what populations are doing and what interventions help them do x y or z so uh it really caught on that way and when i started applying some of the stuff i was reading i got better at predicting things i started winning office or, or you know hockey pools right so i started getting understanding fundamentally who was a good player and who wasn't so um no one was really doing that in the Calgary market. So once I started applying that, I got an audience and it's kind of, you know, rolled from there. Cool. Yeah. 
Um, I'm just kind of curious who's kind of like your go-to, like your favorite, uh, maybe this is a, this is a <laughs> too favoritism question. Who's yeah. like somebody in the analytics verse right now. You're like, wow, what that guy's doing is, is really interesting and really unique. Oh yeah. There's, there's a lot of good people right now. There's a lot of, yeah. And unfortunately some, because I follow them on Twitter so much, I only know them by their weird, You're like, Oh, top down Twitter hockey. handle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Like Jay fresh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, both well that's how, that's anybody listening is gonna know that's how they're gonna know him too so that's okay yeah Throw that there. i mean dom from the athletic um i got to work with him briefly yeah. when i was at the athletic that's a super smart guy i mean you should listen to the stuff that he's doing um but yeah there's a lot of like 20 something kids coming out of you know statistic degrees and stuff doing stuff that's way beyond my ken and i'm really impressed with oh the yeah talent that's just exploding in analytics and anyone who like doesn't feed that and, and dismisses it out of hand is missing so much stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. Like on Instagram, like some, some account will just like, I'll say something like, Oh, I don't know about Noah Hannafin. They're like, yo, my model really likes Hannafin. I'm like, yo, you're like 16 and you've got this <laughs> pretty awesome and robust model. It's, it's pretty awesome. So it's, it's definitely growing. I did yeah, want to it's... pick your, I did want to pick your brain just kind of league wide we have to throw a little bit of uh, a little bit of Oilers hate <laughs> slash talk slash what the hell are they doing? Yeah. Um, your reaction to what Edmonton's done with their blue line this off season? <laughs> oh, I mean, it's, it's been fantastic. Hilarious. I've loved the entire thing. <laughs> when the Duncan Keith rumors came out, I thought they're going to do it. I know it's going to be Edmonton. It's just, <laughs> so in their wheelhouse and then they did it and it was even worse than i thought it was going to be so way worse yeah yeah just and they re-signed barry barry is what he is but he's i mean there's no defense on that blue line now at all i i don't know how they're going to defend it's (laughs) such i mean they're going to throw Derek ryan out there and hope Derek ryan is just like the only guy who can defend on that team yeah poor guy i mean their their forward base probably did improve albeit at a price Mm mm-hmm um, but that blue line is terrifying. And if Mike Smith yeah. uh, is Mike Smith, I don't know what happened to it last year. He had that little sort of dead cat bounce. But if Mike Smith is Mike Smith, I mean, just you're going to have an 890 save percentage behind that blue line. That's going to be rough. Oh, it's going to be fun. I can't wait. And then just one, <laughs> one more NHL question. Who's a team you're kind of looking at this season that maybe you're intrigued of what they did on the offseason or, or liked what they did or, or interested in what you're going to see from them? Is there anything off the top of your head? Not really. I mean, it's everything's the, biggest, the same old hockey men yeah. GM stuff. Yeah. Really, the big thing is Seattle. Like, what is going to happen there? Yeah. I I thought they were not nearly as aggressive as they should have been given their position. Mm-hmm. Um, they they've accrued an, an interesting roster. I thought it could have been better. Uh, you saw Vegas really leverage trades to make the roster they did, and Seattle hasn't really done that. But that that said, I mean, it's always interesting to see what an expansion team is going to do. Who's uh, do you, defense actually got worse? Was it Oilers or the Canucks? I think. Oh it's... God, the Canucks have the worst defense in the in the league. Yeah, that's horrendous. It's, it's laughably yeah. bad. It's like they were <laughs> trying to make a bad blue line. Well, dude, like the funniest thing was they were interviewing Benning afterwards, and like about the OEL trade, and somebody asked him, like, "Okay, Oliver Ekman Larson hasn't been very good," and he said something to the effect of like. Yeah, I guess his plus minus has not been very good last few years. I don't really know why. And it was just like, what? <laughs> what? 
Oh, I missed that. Oh, that's quite funny. <laughs> it's crazy. Holy cow. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's pretty astonishing. Um, what uh, sometimes I don't even know what the criteria is for the evaluation of these players. Um, it's, it seems to be purely reputational sometimes. Like, hey, that guy was good five years ago. He's probably still good, right? Yep. Always not. Sorry. That's Duncan Keith. Yeah. Yep. Okay. My, my last question, then we'll let you go. Um, obviously you're on Twitter. You're, you're probably one of the best Twitter follows in terms of, you know, getting a beat on what this team looks like underneath the hood. Right. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so if, if anybody's listening, definitely follow. What's your handle again? Is this Kent Wilson? Yeah. Kent underscore Wilson. Yeah. I, I had, I got you my notifications. So, um, <laughs> but, um, it's nice, even though you keep a very professional profile, not like us, we're just all over the place, <laughs> yeah. but, um, you know, you're still throwing shade at the Oilers. How did you oh, become yeah. a Flames fan? Um, and then we'll leave it, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, well, it's been a lifelong thing. So I was, I was born in Calgary. Uh, the first, I really remember the Flames is the 86 Cup run. So I watched that as a kid. And then, of course, the 89 Cup run. So the Flames were legitimately good for a big portion of my childhood, <laughs> right? And, of course, as I said, I played hockey, naturally. So it's a sort of hand-in-glove type of thing. And then um, I'm also a small guy. So you had Theron Fleury come out through the, the organization and sort of prove all the doubts about shorter players wrong. And that was kind of really inspiring to see when he did it. So that's sort of, you know, I've been stuck as a fan ever since and we got the the 04 run which was incredible cinderella stuff and yeah we've been suffering ever since <laughs> <laughs> and probably will continue to yeah. do so yeah all right man really appreciate your time mike you got any closing question or are you good no that's awesome ken i know um whenever i have a hockey thought i always rush your twitter to see like i, I wonder if ken has tweeted something about this, <laughs> so i can confirm if i'm right or way off base so always appreciate the the flames well, wisdom also feel free to tell me if you think i'm wrong because there's there's still a lot of that it was funny last year before we go um the first six games of the year he had manjapani who was having a rough go like he yeah. uh he, he had good score, yeah. numbers but yeah nothing was going in right so i actually had someone comment oh, on no. twitter like you've made me hate manjapani because <laughs> no. you've you kept pumping his tires and now he sucks. And the, literally the thing yeah. I, I basically said was like, you're overreacting to a six game sample and the freaking guy was awesome for the rest of the year. <laughs> so it's nice to have little things like that. I have never heard back from whoever that was on Twitter, but it was nice to have that kind of uh, workout at least. Yeah. No shit. Eh? Yeah. All right, man. Thanks again. <laughs> well, really uh, appreciate you jumping on. Where you blog yeah. your blog. You have a blog. You're blogging from your, uh, from your sub stack, right? Just plug that real quick. Very rarely. I call it big body presence. It's kind of an inside joke. Nice. Um, and it's very more theoretical and esoteric in terms of here's the way I would run a team yeah. in an analytics department. So it is not, I had one thing on the flames uh, last year, which was you should separate Goudreau and Monaghan, which was before the season started, which they mm-hmm. finally did by the end. But, uh, oh, but they had tried everything with Goudreau yeah, and Monaghan. They, I thought they, they tried, tried everything. everything. <laughs> here's <laughs> Richie. That'll solve it. No. <laughs> No, I think the, the fan was saying they should start benching was the oh, scratch Monahan. Don't yeah. split them up. That was the next solution. But yeah. anyways. Yeah, but uh, I, I write there only occasionally just because, you know, the day job is a company I'm running. So it's a little a little busy, but uh, I think I'm going to have something else by the end of the season just because I've got a bunch of stuff up and around my head. It's not going to be flames. It's going to be 
the, the same sort of theoretical theoretical esoteric stuff that nobody likes but that's what i want to write about now so like that's it, what i'm gonna so. do yeah okay thanks guys there you have it, folks kent wilson super smart guy super smart guy i don't want to say it. i mean like i mentioned in the interview Beat for beat, I don't think this guy misses anything in terms of if you want to. Honestly, he would be a great hire for an NHL team. If, if the Flames mind. hired him to like consult on like half of the moves they make, it'd be so much better. Yeah, you know how you get excited when fucking you get like a good offseason acquisition in a player. If they would announce tomorrow that they hired Kent Wilson to at least be an assistant fucking analytics guy. I'd be stoked. If they hired Ken to just like have a talk to Brad, the only question Brad was, the only thing he was allowed to say to Brad was like, yes or no on a player. It's like, that's the only thing he was there for. It would be totally worth it. They could pay him shit tons of money. It's like James Neal. No. Worth it. Troy Brown. No. Ujic. No, it's just be totally worth it. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned it. Great Twitter follow, but just some he'll throughout the season. He'll, he'll throw down just, you know, a subject. And like I said, look under the hood, right? Should they split up Monty Johnny? And then he'll put up charts and analytics and comparisons and all sorts of stuff to, you know, support his hypothesis on what's best for the team. And nine times out of 10, maybe more often, he seems pretty dead on. Well, yeah, he see, he does a good job of kind of like, kind of what we try to do, which is like, look at a, a topic and like dig into it so goddamn deep and just get to the very bottom of it and then kind of work our way back up he's really good at that well we hope you enjoyed it it's the off season so we'll see what else we can throw at you once again as always thanks for listening hey you made it it's the end of the podcast if you liked this episode please do us a favor take a sec and leave a rating and review on the apple podcast you can help us grow the audience and introduce some more unfortunate Flames fans to the show. So do it, do it. Super easy. Just takes a second. Just tap on the show, scroll down, leave a rating slash review. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We will see you on the next one.